episode four of Glass and Joe podcast, joined by my man Joe Malfi and PJ Glasser. Joe, hard to believe. I mean, we're a month in. Here we are, crazy. episode four. <laughs> it's crazy. We've been fortunate to have some great guests. We're going to have Mike Jones, the math head coach, join us in a little bit. But I just want to know, are you having a better week than the MLB and the MLB Players Association are? Because I would hope you are. I mean, PJ, if I told you I was having a worse week than they were, I like I I would expect you to like come help me out. Yeah. Because it means I'm in dire trouble. I drive up to New Jersey for sure. It's crazy, man. Like I I I want to just vent about that today because it's been bugging me. Like uh, you know, <laughs> I've kind of been just keeping it all pent up inside for the last week so that I can release it here. And I, I'll I'll start it off and and I'll let you get some words in. And before I continue, I like the deeper issues because the the COVID nineteen related twenty twenty resumption of play is only the tip of the iceberg here. Mm-hmm. Um, look, sometimes owners are right in labor disputes. Uh, at the end of the day, they're the ones putting up all the money and taking that monetary risk. They own the teams. Like, sure, sometimes in labor disputes they're right, but this is not that time. 25 of the 30 are billionaires. The lowest net worth, not to put him on the spot, but I'm sure he won't feel too bad, is Bob Castellini of the Reds, only worth $400 million. (laughs) The point is, they're going to be fine if they break even in 2020 or even suffer a slight loss because they will recoup that slight loss going forward in time. Mm -hmm. Uh, The people who are pro-owner are saying that the players are greedy, the people that are pro-player are saying that the owners are greedy. And the real greed is the owners. If you think about it, the players are the ones taking the health risk, not just COVID-related health risks of, of traveling and playing and stuff, but the soft tissue, soft tissue injuries that could happen because they're going to go from nothing for four and a half months, quick spring training into games. So right. you've got that. You've got pitchers who've got to worry about their arms. It's not just the COVID-related health risks. It's the other just baseball injury-related health risks. They're the ones taking all the risks while the owners aren't. They're just sitting back probably in their mansions just watching it all unfold. Uh, so anything less than the, pro, the full prorated salaries they agreed to back in March is kind of an insulting offer. And I forgot – I wish I actually saved it and, and had it up in front of me, but uh, I think it was uh, Descalso maybe. One of the players this week right. tweeted um, basically just – the same offer has been repackaged in a ton of different ways. And it's just kind of frustrating that the players are the ones who say they want to play. They're, they're willing to take the risk to continue the growth of the game, stay out there. And the owners are the ones who are basically saying, all right, we'll give you a dozen donuts. Oh, no, you don't want that? Fine. We'll give you two orders of six. That was a tweet that he had said. He, he basically compared it to a donut box. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't want two orders of six? How about four orders of three? It's still the same thing. They keep repackaging the same offer. And at the end of the day, it's really on the owners if the season is lost because the players keep saying they want to play for what they agreed to in March. They're willing to, you know, to make – if they play 50% of the games, they're willing to take 50% of their pay. And that is fair. There's no reason for it to be less than that. The owners want it to be less than that because the revenue is going to be less and it's going to hurt their profits. So like I said, the point that they're going to break even or slightly lose, but they will regain that. But it will be completely detrimental and catastrophic to the game if it doesn't happen this year. The players are insulted, right? I mean, that's what it comes down to. They're insulted. And, uh, you know, you talk about the owners and I got to talk about Rob Manfred and the damage he's done for himself, Mm -hmm. especially – when he came on and said that unequivocally 100% he thought there was going to be a season and then a weekend (laughs) goes by and he's totally 180. And it's just been that kind of inconsistency the whole way through. Like you said, the players, they obviously want to play. And I think for us as baseball fans and people that love the game, we're just frustrated because we understand the opportunity that's being missed when you have a chance Baseball should be playing in a couple weeks. They should be on a national spotlight where the casual sports fan is tuning in to watch a Royals-Twins game. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And they've totally missed the boat on that. Every day that goes by, there's just more and more pressure to come up with the deal to try and fit all these games in. And Manfred and these owners, they're just not making a good enough effort to organize with these players the right deal. And, and until – the owners and the commissioner make any kind of effort towards what the players want to see. It's just, they're not going to play. Look, the owner's greed is probably going to cost them this season. And 
you would think that these businessmen who some of them are more forward thinking and looking at their bottom lines, not just this year, but years from now would think about the damage this can do to the game and to the popularity. I, right. I, I, I the farm systems. On, I mean, exactly. all the minor league teams that are taking Washing a hit from up. this. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I, I did a deep dive on this this week, just looking up a bunch of statistics because I was curious um, after Andy Martino of SNY, he, he kind of laid out the possible doomsday scenario. It, it's, it's not, it's far-fetched, but it's not impossible. He said, look, 2020 might be gone. 2021, we don't know what it's going to look like because without a vaccine or treatments, we don't know, will there be fans? Will we have this same issue that we're having now? We don't know. So 2021 mm-hmm. is totally up in the air. After 2021 is this CBA. And if this is any indication of what that's going to be, it's not too crazy to think that there could be another work stoppage in 2022. So now you're talking 2023 might be the first real normal 162 game baseball season we've had since 2019. And that could be absolutely catastrophic. Uh, I I did the digging. So missing this season um, is what would possibly set that domino effect in motion. Mm -hmm. MLB dwarfs the NBA and the NFL in terms of regional success. And this is a study from the New York Times came out last October during the World Series. MLB dwarfs the NFL, NBA, and ticket sales. Again, that's partly sheer volume, 2,430 regular season games for the MLB versus 256 for the NFL and 1230 for the NBA and NHL. MLB wins in local TV numbers too. Uh, According to the study, on cable, 24 major league teams ranked first in their respective markets in primetime, and 29 out of 30 markets, baseball as a whole on cable, opposed to just in primetime, was the number one rated thing. Miami was the only place it wasn't, so sorry to the Marlins. But So regionally, all this success. Problem is nationally. Across the board, ratings are much higher for national NBA games than they are for MLB games. That includes the NBA Finals versus the World Series. Then you get to player recognition. Again, in this New York Times study, uh, they cited a YouGov rating uh, of active sports personalities that Americans know. 91% of Americans know LeBron James. 88% know who Tom Brady is. Only 43% know who Mike Trout is. And then in terms of the TV numbers, 100% of counties across the country saw at least a quarter of Tom Brady's games last year. 98% saw at least a quarter of LeBron James's games. Only 1% of all counties in in the country saw a quarter of Mike Trout's games. And I'll leave you with this story that Mark Teixeira told on ESPN New York the other day. Great career, successful career. His kids, the son of a very successful Major League Baseball player, they don't care about baseball. He like tries to get them to watch it, and they don't care. This is going to be a much larger issue going forward in terms of a popularity standpoint. The numbers are already there in terms of recognizing MLB athletes versus other sports and in terms of national TV ratings. Again, they succeed well regionally because local ties and stuff, but nationally, they don't have that success already versus the NBA and NHL. And If that doomsday scenario happened where, again, 2023 would be the next time we get a real full baseball season where we've lost four years, that could do irreversible damage to the game where baseball would have to hope that something else catastrophic happened to the NBA or NFL in order to kind of bridge that gap. Otherwise, they're not going to make that ground up again. It's terrible. And we've talked about, too, that when this whole pandemic started, you really looked at baseball probably being the sport that had the best chance of the team sports to start up first. And mm-hmm. here we are looking not like we're not, we're not going to get a season. And, I'll and say this. That, we, we've held out optimism pretty much throughout all of this. I have saying, no hope anymore. No hope. So <laughs> no hope. hopefully now that we have no hope, we, they figure it out and yeah, we can get yeah. a season. And to what you were about to say, with the, they had a chance to get on the field and get the eyeballs. This past week, and good segue here, Pat Self on back because we're about to talk about golf. <laughs> this past week, that was one of the highest rated uh, PGA events at that location in Texas ever. Yeah. So, again, it's captive audience looking for something. If baseball would have happened, that number gap between the NBA and NFL, they could have started making up ground. Instead, it went completely the other way. And from a talent perspective, baseball is in such a good place with all the young talent in the game. Mm-hmm. It's it's really a shame, but you talk about golf, great segue. First uh, event back on the PGA Tour at Colonial. Great event, too. Going into a playoff, awesome. Great event. Joe, Justin Rose, I mean, <laughs> so disgusted. He was right there. He led on Thursday. He got off to seven under. 
He finished tied for third at 14 under, but he missed the putt on 18 that was tracking the, the whole way. And then at the end, he veered off so oh my close. God. And he would have been in the playoff and had a chance to win. Justin Thomas, who you had, was right in there for much mm-hmm. of Sunday. He finished a tie for 10th. So, I mean, pretty good for us. First event, yeah. we were right there. We returned now at the RBC, T- RBC Heritage. And once again, loaded field. Bunch of guys. This is usually the tournament that follows the Masters. So, normally you get a lot of the big names. They take this week off, recovering from the Masters. But obviously, just being the second week back, another loaded field. 114 guys in the field have won at least one PGA Tour event. First time that's happened since 2001. Field is absolutely loaded. Is there anybody that you like this week who catches your eye? I mean, I'm tempted to say Berger coming off the win, but obviously that's, you know, kind of like flavor of the week sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, The stat that blew my mind is that he's 28 straight rounds far or better. And a guy who you ask the casual fan who who pops up four times a year for the majors probably couldn't pick him out of a lineup. Um, So he's hot and, why not? But I'm not going to go that way because, again, he had great at odds this past week, but the odds are not going to be valuable uh, this coming week. I'm going to look for a guy to bounce back okay. after having a bad start this past week. And for me, uh, that guy is going to be John Rahm, completely in the tank this past weekend and one of the biggest disappointments of the weekend. But I'm going to look at him this week. Um, again, it's it's – it's not really like you had mentioned last week that it might be good to take a flyer on a lower guy like Morikawa and Berger who ended up coming through. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm going to stick with the top guys because I just, I don't, as much as I want to go out on a limb, I'm almost afraid to because we don't know anything that's going to happen. So I want to rely on the guys whose skill levels are just there. And I think Rom coming off of a very bad week uh, kind of woke him up, shake the cobwebs after, or after the long layoff and, I'll be ready to go this week. So let me tell you what I'm doing this week, all right? So my birthday is on Sunday, June 21st, turning 24 years old. Okay. So what do I do? I go to the official world golf rankings, and I look at who the 24th ranked <laughs> golfer in the world is. Turns out to be Paul Casey. Well, Paul Casey's not playing this week. So shame okay. on him because he missed himself and a chance to win an event. So I went to see who was 24th in the FedEx Cup standings. It's your boy, John Rom. So I oh, love – So okay. – I swear. Okay, for anybody who listens to this, we didn't. I swear on everything. We did not no, compare. We did notes. not plan that. We did not compare or plan that. That's so awesome. that's hilarious. So I love Rom. Another name, kind of connecting the dots with everybody. I did some more research. Had no idea until I looked it up that Matt Kuchar and I share a birthday. His oh. birthday is always the twenty first, which this year happens to be. Usually, fathered. your birthday is the same day. Well, <laughs> it is, but he, it happens to be Father's Day this year. Okay. So, and oh, that's he's a, right. That's right. He's a father as well. And Kuchar is good to our family. We've been, we've been to two golf events, two separate times. He has given my brother a ball and signed it for Okay. Him. So, Kuchar is a fan favorite. So, if right. I had to make two plays this week, not stat related at all, just gut feeling, stars aligning, I'm going Kuchar and I'm going Rom. But that's pretty funny that you picked Rom as well. <laughs> I love Rom is plus eighteen hundred this weekend, and I was just trying to look up Kuchar's real quick, and he's actually not even in the top twenty of odds. So let me you just can get some down. great odds on him. Let he me just won. scroll down further for for him right here. He won uh, at uh, the RBC he's Heritage in twenty fourteen. Plus thirty eight hundred. So yeah. plus eighteen hundred on my Rom pick for for a rebound, and plus thirty eight hundred on your stars aligning Matt Kuchar. Shared birthday on Father's Day. Past win at this. Uh, I'm feeling good about it. I think. I think hey, Justin Rose absolutely... was your was your boy this weekend. He gave it a run. Both he of did. our, like you said, both of our boys this past week gave it a run. We were right there. We both like Rom this week and Kuchar. So we'll see what happens. Another guy who loves golf is our next guest coming up, Dematha, men's head basketball coach Mike Jones. He stops by, have a great conversation with him, and talk some basketball and some golf. Joined now by head men's basketball coach of the DeMatha Stags, Mike Jones. Coach, thanks for being here. How is everything going for you? Uh, it's going okay. No complaints. Uh, you know, crazy times. I'm not a complainer. So, you know, just working with what we had. And now how have you kind of handled all the extra downtime without the spring or summer ball that you're used to having? Uh, I've been doing a lot of this. I've been, you know, <laughs> communicating with uh, coaches across the country and, you know, uh, communicating with our players and 
some of the people within the uh, USA Basketball Junior National Team program just trying to stay connected as much as we can. So, again, no complaints. Coach, before we get into DeMatha and some other topics, I wanted to ask you real quick about the NBA's return. Based on your experience as a coach and a former player, how difficult do you think it'll be for these players coming back after this long layoff and jumping into such high-intensity type games? Um, honestly, it's going to depend on what their mindset was like over the course of the entire layoff. Uh, if guys were always preparing for, like, I know we're going to play, I know we're going to play, I know we're going to play, um, I think those guys will be much better prepared mentally than the guys that just realized, hey, this is really going to happen like two weeks ago. Um, and I think that's a part of the game that not a lot of people really understand. Just being mentally there and present um, in, like, hey, we're going to play more basketball this season. I think it's going to give some of those guys an advantage. So it all depends on where guys fell and kind of how the approach was for, for each team. How big of an impact do you see not having any fans will play, especially for these NBA players who are used to playing in front of 20, 25,000 people? you think it'll play any at all? Uh, probably somewhat. I mean, because some guys really feed off of the energy from the crowd. Uh, right. Some guys you can put them in a gym. Like, I, I don't know. Kawhi Leonard, but I would imagine Kawhi is somebody that no matter what the circumstances are, he's going to be locked in and can even if he's in the gym by himself. But I would imagine some other guys, like, they just – they really feed off of the energy from from the audience and from the spectators. So I, it definitely will have some effect. But the competitive juice gets flowing. It will have a, an impact on it. But I think after things really get going and you get close to whether you're in the playoffs or not or whether you're the first seed or not, I think that just the competitive nature will be the most important uh, factor. All right, putting you on the spot for a sec, though. If this all goes off without a hitch, everything works out according to plan, who do you, who's your pick to win the NBA title this year? Uh, it's a team from L.A. I don't know which one. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's, it'll be the Lakers or the Clippers. Uh, I think in the Eastern Conference, um, Boston will figure out a way to be there with Milwaukee. Uh, for the the conference championship, uh, I would say probably Milwaukee wins that, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if Boston got them. But I think ultimately it'll be either the Clippers or the Lakers. I would say right now the slight advantage would be to the the Lakers, but I, I mean I wouldn't be betting money on that. I'd bet yeah. money on LA, but I wouldn't bet money on either or. So I'm sure you could uh, you could find somewhere that they're they're offering a little. Uh a little play where it's either the L.A. teams winning. But uh, uh, plenty of players from PG County have gone on to compete for and win NBA titles. Uh, Showtime aired the special called In the Water, recently highlighting some of the area's biggest talents, Kevin Durant, Victor Oladipo. And they all talked a bit about what makes PG County so special to them, what makes it such a hotbed for basketball talent. In your opinion, what is it about PG County that makes it one of the nation's top talent factories? Uh, I just think it's the culture that we grow up in. Uh, you know, basketball is such a huge part of who we are. It's part of our identity. But uh, uh, the young players in this area, male and female, uh, they're coached at a pretty young age. Uh, they get with trainers at a pretty young age. But I think the biggest part is the superstars from this area are superstars, but they're, I mean, you can you can touch them. Like, you know, you can, you can go in a gym and see Kevin Durant in there working out. You can go in the mm -hmm. gym and you can see Victor Oladipo, Quinn Cook. Like, so for us, the young people that play the game, they're able to actually really, truly feel like I can do that. It's not some star that, hey, I, I heard that that player is from my area, but I've never seen them. I've never seen them work out. I've never talked to anybody that's had any interaction with them. Like, it's it's totally different here. So, you know, any young person with a dream, being able to actually see someone that has done what they want to do, but, like, they're right there in front of them, it makes all the difference in the world. So I, I, our culture is, is, is tremendous, but I think that's also a huge factor. Obviously so much talent in the area. Outside of DeMatha, who would you say is maybe the best or a couple of the best players that you've ever – faced off as a coach oh man that's that's 
that's not fair. Uh, <laughs> we, I mean, we played, yeah, I, I, we pride ourselves on playing one of the toughest schedules every year. Uh, we're always going to do that. Uh, we played against the number one team in the country many times. We played against the number one player in the country many times. And, you know, I would put the guys that we played against here locally up against any of those teams and any of those players. Uh, Scotty Reynolds uh, from Herndon High School, you know, was a McDonald's All-American, went to Villanova. Uh, he was virtually unstoppable in high school. Chris Wright uh, at St. John's was one of the toughest guards, you know, to, to lace him up in this area. Uh, Chris Lights from Gonzaga, very difficult to game plan for him. Uh, you know, definitely kept us up at night. Uh, but, I mean, this area's had so many. But, you know, nationally, this year we played against Evan Mobley. Uh, last year we played against uh, Isaiah Stewart. Uh, we played against Shabazz Muhammad when he was number one. We played against Smarto Samuels when he was number one. We played against O.J. Mayo. Um, you know, we, again, we pride ourselves on playing the best players each and every year. Played against R.J. Barrett twice. Um, we're we want to play the best. And, you know, our guys, I think they, they earned the right to measure themselves up against, you know, who some people consider to be the best in the country. Shifting now more towards talking about your team, your program in DeMatha. You guys are coming off another WCAC championship. Congratulations on that. You had an unbelievable season, 30-3 and three overall. You just lost one game in the WCAC. I know as well you guys were playing with heavy hearts, wanting to honor your friend and your mentor, Morgan Wooten. How much did winning that championship mean for you personally and your program as well? Um, I mean, it definitely was special this year because of Coach Wooden's passing. Um, you know, obviously, you know, none of us are where we are without him. Like, there's so many people that uh, have benefited from the exposure that he brought to basketball uh, that had nothing to do with the math. I mean, he truly – was one of the monumental figures in bringing high school basketball to a national spotlight. Um, so, uh, and then obviously, you know, the math is not the math without Coach Wooten. So winning it this year was special. But, I mean, I, and I don't say this, as, uh, this is not any disrespect to him, but, I mean, I feel like our guys really, really, really worked hard for our championship this year, and they earned the right to celebrate that. And I, as much as we want to honor Coach with, the championship that we won this year. I don't ever want it to be mistaken that, you know, our kids, like they deserve to celebrate that just as much as, as anybody else because they they really put the work in uh, from, you know, last spring and summer to the fall to grinding out 33 games this year. I mean, they, they really put it on the line. And uh, I, I want to make sure that as much as we're coaching, that is absolutely one of the things we want to do. I want to make sure that, there's no slight against the kids that, you know, put their heart on the line every single night, too. You personally, obviously, you worked under him and, and looked at him as a mentor. What would you say the biggest piece of advice that Coach Woodward ever gave to you was that you take with you every day? Be genuine. Like, do things like that you do. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. I'm sitting there, you have on your Maryland uh, shirt. <laughs> I'm, I'm drinking out of a Maryland Terps glass right now. <laughs> there you go. And I say all that to connect the day I got the job, like two days later in the mail. Uh, first of all, I got a congratulatory phone call from Gary Williams, head coach at Maryland. And then a couple of days later, I got a, a card in the mail from him. Um, and I would say he probably, he was, he wasn't the very first phone call I got, but he was one of the first and probably one of the, I guess, the biggest names to call me to say congrats. But he was the first letter I got. And what Coach Williams said and what Coach Wood used to tell me all the time were the exact same thing. Coach Williams, in his letter, I actually still have it in my office uh, at school. Uh, be yourself. Congratulations on the job. Make sure you that you are that you're being yourself. And what both of them meant was, I mean, Coach, I mean, he 46 years, you know, over 1,200 wins, like National Basketball Hall of Fame, like he had, you know, accomplished everything that you possibly could. And what coach wanted me to do was to make sure that I didn't go in and try to do things exactly the way he did them, just because that's the way he did them. Um, and coach Williams was basically saying the same thing. And one thing that I've learned over the years is like, you know, kids are, 
they're way too smart for that. Like you have to be genuine. They can tell if you're you're pretending or if you're acting. Um, so you like we had to do it our way, so to speak. And it took us a while to really embrace that. Like you know, my first year we weren't very good in terms of our record. Um, our kids worked really hard. The special group I loved to death. But I mean, we finished under 500. We finished 15 and 17, and I believe some of that was me trying to do things the way Coach Wooten did them. Um, that off season between my first and my second year, we truly embraced being ourselves and doing things the way we felt most comfortable with, and you know, the success was was quick to follow. Going back to your team real quick, who just came off the uh, WCAC championship, you talked about how hard they work, how much they earn that. Was there a specific moment in the season where you and your coaching staff felt like your team took that jump from being a good team that could win a lot of games to ultimately being a great team that could win a championship? Um, well, I think there was a couple of times, and actually they were both losses. Um, when we lost to Sunrise Christian, in the National Hoop Fest at the Matha. And then, you know, like 10 days later or something like that, we lost down at Montbert, uh down in Florida. Uh, both of those games, uh, the, the, the Sunrise Christian game was a close game. Uh, came down to a couple of possessions that we didn't execute, but we were right there. And Sunrise was a really good team, very well coached, one of the best teams in the country. But we truly felt like we should have won that game. Uh, going down to Montbert, uh, that wasn't pretty. Uh, they, you know, I believe that's one of the best teams, if not the best team, high school basketball team ever. Um, you know, just the depth they had, the unselfishness on their team. Um, but after that game, like, we weren't discouraged at all. Like, we we knew we went up against a juggernaut. Um, we didn't quit. Uh, you know, we, we I think we lost about 20 points. And a lot of other teams were not able to keep it that close with them. Um, I think the biggest thing that we learned from that is, hey, like that's where the bar is. And, you know, we need to do everything we can to reach that. And I think the biggest thing for me personally was, okay, like we're clearly, if we win that game, I don't know what kind of season we have. Like if we go down there, we beat them. Like, I mean, that becomes like, hey, you guys have arrived. You're there. Like you're at your peak. How much better can you get? And, like, it was the exact opposite of that. We knew we were good. We knew we had to work to be good, though. And uh, and getting our butts kicked a little bit, I think, I won't say humbled us because I don't think we needed to be humbled, but it definitely made us focus and lock in to know that if we are not on our game, like, anybody's capable of, of, of beating us. And, you know, I, I, I really – I look at those two games as the reason why we – were able to have the season. After the Montbird loss, we won, what, 20-whatever games in a row without losing before we mm -hmm. lost that part of six. So um, I, I think whatever message we got out of that was the exact message we needed. Now, looking forward to next season, how big of a factor do you think maybe not having the usual summer ball and AAU tournaments will have on players uh, ahead of the, the upcoming season, if they're rusty, if they're not in, the, in their normal rhythms? Um. That's the great thing about having a true program. Um, you know, the math that we, like most of our players, not everyone, but most of our players are with us for four years. Uh, you know, there's occasional, you know, we get a transfer here and there. But the greatest thing about us is the guys that are going to be at the core of our team next year have already played in our system for a couple of years. So, it's not like we've got to mold a bunch of new faces. Like, we'll have some new guys. We'll have some young guys. Uh, we're going to have one or two transfers uh, on our squad. But the, the, the bulk of our team is going to be guys that won a championship this year, and they know exactly what it takes to win one. They know what the preparation like. They know what our system's like. And, you know, we I, – I, I'm looking forward to next year because of those reasons. Like, I'm not – Obviously, I would love to be in the gym with my guys every day right now, but I, they, it won't have as much of an impact on teams that have players that are program guys. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's – we're one of the teams that has that. 
What are common attributes that you've seen of players that you've coached who make it to the Division One and NBA level, besides obviously having talent? What other factors go into someone being that next-level kind of player? Well, I'll say this. Uh, there's, there's two qualities. One of them probably is more suited to the guys that make it to the ultimate level, to the highest level. But work ethic is clearly something that, like, you have to have. Like, right. it doesn't matter how talented you are. If you want to be a Division One athlete, you have to have a work ethic. You have to put the time in. There's no substitute for that. You've got to be in the gym. You've got to get reps. You've got to work before practice, work after practice, work on days off. Like, like that, that is a requirement for you to be good, again, no matter how much talent you have. The guys that make it to the NBA, though, are the guys that have a vision. Um. And, again, it's something that, like, that's not something you can really teach. And one of the coolest experiences I've ever had is, like, I love being around my team. And it's almost like blended in to the point where they don't notice I'm there. So if I'm sitting on the bus um, and I'm a row in front of them and they're just speaking and just having a good time communicating with each other, I love to hear their conversations because I can remember talking about being an NBA player when no one thought that he was an NBA player. Mm -hmm. I can remember the Grant brothers like communicating what their future was going to look. And I mean, again, you know, as a, as an adult that, you know, I tried to do the same thing and I'm looking like, I mean, they say it like it's so easy to do, but they really, in their minds, like this, hey, this this is going to happen. And these are the things that I'm going to do to make them happen. And then, you know, the, especially with Chase Young being drafted in the NFL this year by the Redskins, like everyone keeps talking about the story of Chase and Markel folks talking about being the number one pick in their respective sports. He spoke, like they did, it's not made up. Mm -hmm. really, really, really at 15, 16, 17 years old, believed that that was going to happen. And it's one thing to say it, but then it's another thing to say it and then do everything you're supposed to do to make sure it happens, to get up extra shots, to like, hey, coach told me to do 10 sprints. I'm going to do 12 sprints today. Like, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is. Like Markel leaving the math of basketball practice and – getting his mother to get to another gym to get up more shots before he went home multiple times during the week during our season. Like, I mean, that's someone who was so driven. And it's no wonder that they've had the success that they've had. So to answer your question again, PJ, you got to have the work ethic. And then you have to have a vision. You have to believe. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge believer. When I work guys out, I talk about to be good, you have to have an imagination. You have to imagine where you can go if you do what you're supposed to do. I think that's something all of us could apply to, to all of our different professions in life and not just, not just athletics as well. Very important mindset to have. And, and one last question now before PJ leads you into the two fun segments that we like to send guests off with. Um, for you, what is the most rewarding part about being a high school basketball coach? Uh, seeing kids grow, mature, develop, and honestly, just see them chase their dreams. Like, I coach at a place where every kid that comes there that joins our basketball program believes that he's a Division One basketball player. They come there because they like, hey, I know that I can – I have a better chance to get a, a college scholarship from here than I would other places. That's why I'm here. And to be able to see young men work so hard uh, to have great balance, you know, they get their schoolwork done. You, know, you can't get a scholarship unless your grades are good. They do that. Um, just to watch them grow up like they're – I can't describe that. I mean, that's – that's. I went through it. I know what it takes to be able to do it. And when our kids get scholarship offers and then ultimately sign scholarship papers, like I could not be more proud to have been their coach and to have been part of their journey because, I mean, that's what it's all about. So – you know, winning championships, wins and losses, all of that stuff, that's great. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say that, you know, Steve Danley was on my very first team. He was on Coach Wooten's last team. He was on my very first team. He's a professor at Rutgers. He was a Marshall Scholar. Uh, he was a Rhodes Scholar finalist and a Marshall Scholar. Jeff Peterson is assistant general manager for the Brooklyn Nets. 
uh, Byron Richards, graduated in class of 2007. He lives in Spain. Uh, he still plays basketball in Spain, but he has like three different businesses. One of them, he write, he, he, he has his own comic book line. Like, I could not be more proud of the Bush family. Tom and Ben Bush both play for me. They are both amazing young men. They're great dads. They're out just doing great things. Like, I, and that's before you start talking about the, the athletes, the players. Mm. Like, I just have, there's so many guys. There's so many of my former players that are coaches now. Um, like, again, these are, I, I could not be more proud of them. Um, and to, to, to have been along the way with them to watch and to, it's, it's just a joy. So that's the best part about being a coach to me. Someone else may have a different answer, but that's the part that I, I just love. Awesome. All right. So coach, as Joe mentioned, we'll get into our two segments that we like to do with guests at the end. Fun segments. First one is called the Swift Seven. We'll kind of give you seven rapid fire questions. You just give us your answer in a couple words or less, and then we'll end with the trivia question. And we think we got a, a good one for you that you'll enjoy. So question okay. number question number one for you. Where's your what's your favorite road venue to play at in the WCAC? Uh Gonzaga. Number two. Um, Best high school game you've ever been a part of? Uh, my senior year at DeMatha, the city championship game, uh, where we were down 17 at halftime and won uh, one by one point in the city title. Okay. Number three, favorite country you've ever visited? Oh, Portugal. I played in Portugal. Um, I would say Portugal, yes. Number four, down by one with 10 seconds left. Of all the players you've coached or guys you've played with, who would you want taking that last shot? Myself. <laughs> good all right. answer. I, I love that answer. That's I good. do too. Good answer. All right. Best coach in the NBA? Uh, it's between Greg Popovich and uh, Nurse uh, from the Raptors. All right. Uh, LeBron or MJ? Uh, MJ. And now last one, you made it through. Favorite sport other than basketball? Golf. Golf. Oh, Easy. you got – then you're you're excited this weekend that, that we finally got to the PGA Tour back. I know PJ's yeah. been excited about that yeah. too. Yeah. Absolutely. Actually, I played, I played golf this morning. Oh, there nice. You go. Yeah. So, yeah, golf. <laughs> playing again tomorrow morning. Nice. So, you got you to gotta stay active and, and stay into it now that actually, the weather's funny, nice I played, I played at the University of Maryland too. Oh, nice. So it's just a Maryland day all around. It is. Always. Always. All right. PJ mentioned the trivia question. It's not anything too crazy like basketball history. It's more Mike Jones specific history. So what we usually do for this segment, PJ is going to put 90 seconds on his phone timer. Yep. And it's, it's, it's either 90 seconds or three strikes. But because we kind of gave you a question that has a lot of parts to it, we're going to disregard the three strikes. Just the 90 seconds is all we're focusing on here. You'll see oh, no, what I no, mean. no. I want, I, want, I want the challenge now. Don't, don't, all right, all right. All right, three strikes you got. Sounds good. 90 easy. and three strikes. <laughs> 90 and three strikes. All right. In your senior year at Old Dominion, you guys made the NCAA tournament as a 14 seed. We want you to tell us the two teams you played, who the leading scorers were for the other team in each of those games, and the city you guys played in. Okay. In that order? Well, any Whichever order. order you those, want. Five, okay. those five okay, components. So so we played in Albany, played in Correct. Albany, New York. Correct. Uh, we played uh, Villanova in the first round. We played Tulsa in the second round. Correct. Uh, the easy, easy answer. Shea Shields had 35 uh, or something like that for Tulsa. He did, uh, 35, second correct. Round. And in the first round, uh, so I'm going to say that I did a great job on carrying Kittle. <laughs> I still want to say he might have finished with 21, but he did not score on me. At all, the entire game. Uh, there you go. That's for one fast break bucket. So I'm pretty sure it was Gary Kittles. That's it. All correct. Five, but Clean sweep. We have out for 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 a bonus point. How many points did you have in both of those games? Actually, I had the same number both games. I had 19 <laughs> both games. Wow. Yep. There we go. Well done. There you go. I had, I had 19 both games. So far, we've had we had Tim Kirkshaw on episode one. And we had Joe Beninati on episode three. Two media guys. We gave them more historical questions. They were both wrong. 
we had Minka Fitzpatrick on episode two, and we kind of gave him the same thing, like a personal stats question, mm-hmm. and he got it right. So I guess, I guess there's something about players and former coaches. You guys remember <laughs> everything from every game, huh? Well, I can tell you this. Like, I, I kind of pride myself on that. Like, I do believe I can actually go back in the Villanova game and the Tulsa game and pretty much tell you exactly what happened because, to be honest with you, we should have made the Sweet 16. We – we should have beat Tulsa. Like, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We should have beat Tulsa. Uh, they were coached by Tubby Smith, who obviously has gone on to be national champion winner, things like that. They had Poole Williamson. They had Chase Seals, two guys that went on to be uh, pro basketball players. Like, they, they were really good. But uh, we should have won. Like, and if you, if you watch the game, the flow of the game, like, we had played Villanova in triple overtime. So we were a little tired, a little sluggish, but once we got our legs under us the first part of the second half, we, we cut the lead that they had all the way down to a certain number. And then uh, I'll just say our execution uh, in crunch time was not the best. And, you know, guys that – we clearly had two leading scores on the team and we should have been taking the shots, but that's not what happened. So. Well, I'm, so, I'm sorry, too, to open up that wound then from, from that game. It still <laughs> yeah. seems kind of fresh. But, uh, hey, hey, all it means is that when we have you back on, if, if you come back on during the season, we're just going to have to come up with a harder question because now, now we know yeah, what, what your do. level's at. That now was impressive. That, that was impressive. Three strikes. Who needs that? <laughs> <laughs> that was impressive. Uh, well done, Coach. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. We really Anytime do. Good luck tomorrow on whenever your tea time is. <laughs> uh, 6, 6 a.m. So, all right. I'll be out there early. Right. Thanks, Thanks for your Joe. time. We hope Thanks, to catch Coach up with Jones. you again during the season. All right. Yep. Once again, that was Zamatha, men's head basketball coach, Mike Jones. Joe, another great like, interview. We, we thought we had a really good trivia question to the point that we didn't even want to make him do the strikes. And not only did he get five out of five, but he then got the two bonuses that he scored the same 19 points in both games. So, I – Ridiculous. We've got to. We've got I knew to we were in this. trouble. I knew we were in trouble <laughs> he when he smirked right before, right as I was asking the question. He started smirking. That's when I realized that we were in trouble. You get I that knew, kind of smirk, we're in trouble. I knew when he was like, "Do you want me to give it to you in that order?" I'm oh, like, "Oh, too. he's got this. He's got this." I'm like, "We're in trouble." And then he rattled it all off. You threw the points in there. Yeah, very, I, very impressive. As, whenever, whenever I ask a trivia question every week, uh, I'm looking at a reaction in their face, like. You could you could tell right away, almost like thinking about uh, like on Jeopardy of the contestants or or something like that. You know immediately based on the look in a man's eyes if he knows the question, if he knows the answer to the question you're about to ask him. And yep. he smirked from ear to ear. He knew that. You opened was, up a little bit of a wound too. We were talking about that old Dominion team, and he I was know. like, "Man, we should be Tulsa." That was. It was pretty funny walking down memory lane with them. But all the all the more serious things about just just what he takes out of being a high school basketball coach. It's so, I mean, growing up, uh, growing up, like I'm an old man. Uh, what I meant to say is when I was in high school and, and being able to be around our football team and knowing where all those guys are now, there's only a couple of them who went on to play in college. One of them in the NFL. Now the rest of them have all gone on to different things. And what you really take away then from those four years is like coach was saying, just teaching them and, and helping them and watching them grow into the men that they become. Mm-hmm. Like he mentioned, a guy who, who does comics now, all the guys who are coaches now. It's not just about basketball. It's about life. And hearing that from him, it was pretty special. It took me back to being around the high school football team. For I talked to him, too, a um, couple months ago, and I was just asking him, you know, why have you stayed in high school for so long? Like, what is it about the high school game? And he's like, it's the challenge every year. Mm-hmm. You have a new team. It's not like the NBA where you can have Tim Duncan and Tony Parker and Manny Ginobili for 15 years as Popovich did. You know, you're getting fresh new teams every year. It's a new challenge. And I thought that's a great point. And on that note, my my high school football coach, mine, I didn't play. I worked for the team. Um, Augie Hoffman, he he played at Boston College, uh, went on for some NFL Europe, had a cup of coffee in the NFL, and then he returned to to the high school to St. Joe's in Montvale. Like we ribbed Minka Fitzpatrick about a couple of weeks ago. He came back, assistant coach, took over as head coach, and was the head coach, I believe, for six, four, uh, yeah. I'm getting my numbers mixed up now, but it was like five years that he was the head coach. And um, he was, I believe, college roommates with Coach Flores of the Dolphins. So when Flores got the job, 
uh, there was an offer extended if he wanted to take a, a, a job as an assistant with the Dolphins, and he could not, he did not want to give it up. He stayed at high school for another year. This year, he ultimately left. He, he went on to be an assistant. He's a tight ends coach now at Rutgers under Greg Schiano. But the reason I haven't talked to him personally about this and, and in the future, coach, if you listen to this, uh, I, I would like to, to pick your brain about. Um, I think that probably had something to do with just still being able to teach and prepare guys who are kids and looking to grow and become men why he – didn't take an NFL job, but did take a college job because it's still similar to high school, just with right. a better talent group. It's still a bunch of guys who, yeah, they're there to play football. Some will go on to play at the next level, but a lot of them, they're going to do something else in life. And just that challenge and, and seeing them grow and develop as people more than as football players. Same thing that you mentioned with Coach Jones as far as why he stayed in high school. And that's something I just bring that up be, uh, with my high school football coach just because it's not just – Joe, Coach Jones, it's, it's, it's a lot of high school football coaches that have that mentality. There's just something special. I mean, look at Coach Wooten before Coach Jones all those years at DeMatha. There's something special about high school sports, especially at that high level, where it's, you've got guys who are going on to college and the pros anyway, where you have that talent and the competition, but you also have that teach, teacher and, and father-like figure yeah. aspect of it as well. And when you talk about DeMatha, you automatically think about players that they've produced into the NBA, the Victor's Old Depots, the Quinn Cooks, and the Markel Foltzes. And we've started to get some more and more news out of the NBA now with what's going on in Disney World. Shams reported the different hotels that these teams yeah. will be staying at. We've heard that these players will have until June 24th to figure out whether or not they want to play. And one of the big spokesmen of whether or not guys are going to play or not is Kyrie Irving. And, Joe, what are your thoughts? I mean, how many guys realistically, especially superstars, big-name guys, do you see possibly sitting out um, the return of the NBA in Disney Tough. I mean, I, I don't really know how to assess it. Like, obviously, there's the, the coronavirus aspect of it. And actually, just today, recording this on Wednesday, um, so when you see this on Thursday or into the weekend, it was a Wednesday news, breaking news item that at the Orlando International Airport, um, Governor DeSantis in Florida announced they tested 500 workers at the airport and 260 of them tested positive, so over 50%. Mm -hmm. So the spike is hitting Florida in that area. The, the previous spike in Florida, and I was in tune to this because I was down in the Fort Lauderdale, Miami area, and then I left to come back home to Jersey. That was where the initial spike was. Now it's in Orlando and the central and northern parts of the state where they were supposed to go. So you've got that aspect of it. But then, of course, there's the whole social justice aspect of it, where you've got leaders like Kyrie Irving who are not sure that they want to go back to playing because will that take away from their ability to get involved in, in protests and rallies and their ability to help out that just cause? And there's two separate schools of thought on that, too, because uh, LeBron James, it was reported that he said he doesn't see why you can't do both, play and also use that as your platform to to fight the injustice and and Damian Lillard he was on the Monday night special uh, that Mike Greenberg hosted with the with all the league's commissioners and he kind of said the same thing he didn't really take a side but he just wanted to make it clear that there's a valid argument on both sides there's a school of players who think that they can use their time and resources better by not playing and not being sequestered in Disney World and going to to be on the front lines and and be at the rallies but then there's a bunch of players who think that playing is a great thing because you've got all the eyeballs now on your games. You're going to have media. You're going to have uh, the, the chance to be making your salaries, whereas if you're not playing, you're forfeiting that money. So now you've got extra money to donate is something that Lillard brought up. So th there's definitely pros and cons to both sides, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Gut feeling, if they don't play, it'll be virus-related rather than – uh, social justice related because certain voices carry more weight than others. And LeBron James is the biggest fish in the pond. And he's a guy who is also that same larger than life figure off of the court. Obviously one of the best to ever do it on the court, but off the court, almost there's very few people who compare to his philanthropy and, and all his great gestures off of the court with the, I promise school and, and, that virtual graduation ceremony he yep. held uh, during, during quarantine. 
So he, he more than anybody knows what it's like to be fighting this injustice. So to, for him to come speak out and say, we can play and still do that. That's going to carry a lot of weight, I think with players. And, and I think that they will end up, they, I don't think they'll end up sitting because of the justice issues. If they sit, it'll be because there's a spike in Orlando in terms of the virus. I'm with you. I think it'll be COVID related. If they end up sitting, I think a lot of it has to do with where the team is. Mm -hmm. I don't think guys like Giannis or LeBron or Kawhi, anybody who thinks they have a realistic shot at winning the title would probably sit. You've heard guys like Kyrie talk about it. And especially with Durant not going to play, I feel like Kyrie just doesn't maybe see the reward in yeah. playing and competing for much. John Wall said if he were healthy, if he were going to play, he wouldn't probably play either. I think a lot of it just has to depend on where these guys feel their teams are, how much they feel like they can compete for a championship. But, uh, you know, these guys who are at the top who want to win these championships, I definitely think will play. We'll, we'll see playoff-like atmospheres from the players and intensities. And, I, you know, I – I don't think Kyrie's speaking on behalf of too many of the top, top players who yeah, are on those best teams. And that's another interesting divide. Like the top players want to play because they've got a chance to win. And so is, is that clouding their judgment? You, you don't, you don't know. Yeah. There's no way to kind of put yourself in their shoes. Uh, and what, whether that relates to the social justice aspect or the virus aspect is that is, is LeBron's chase for Jordan clouding his judgment like we we don't know you hope the intentions are good and and given that everything given everything LeBron has done in the past I believe his intentions are good um so I don't think that he he's looking at it from a, a, a rings point of view but it's something to consider as well because that is a, a big part of these players identities you're always talking about why did Durant go to Golden State for the ring you know, sure. why did Kawhi then now go to LA for the ring so it's it's a part of their it's, it's a part of their thought process, and, and, but you hope that in the end um, the thoughts about their health and their thoughts about which side they are on in terms of the social justice aspect, whether it's the Kyrie Irving side. Um, and again, there's more than just him. There was like 80-plus people on that call. I just use him as the figurehead because he was the one who initiated it. There's that side that believes not playing is better in terms of helping fight the injustice. And then there's a LeBron side that, that Austin Rivers came out and spoke on behalf of as well, that you can do both. You can play and use that platform uh, to help fight the injustice. So there's, a, there's more moving parts than there were last week when we talked about it. Yes. And it seemed like a certainty that the NBA was coming back. I'd still say that it's probably coming back as long as they've got all the, the health protocols down and they, they re detailed the 113 yeah. page document with all their protocols. So uh, they've, they've got their plans in place. And, and now we just we just wait and see and hope for the best. That's that's all. Yeah, I think they'll return as well. And we'll know a lot much more again in this week. Players have until the 24th, which is a yes. week from when from Wednesday to figure out. Well, exactly. If, by, by, by the next episode, because we'll record next Wednesday the 24th. When we release we'll next Thursday yeah. the 25th, we'll know. So, exactly. so it's not too much longer of a wait. But I do know this. If they play, it's going to be a lot of fun down the road because – Apparently, it was reported that they will have camera crews following them around so that in the future there will be like a sort of documentary on all of the behind the scenes stuff. Like they announced that there's going to be players' lounges and pool. Yeah, um, saw and, that. And 2K and just lawn games and, and stuff like that. Like, I, I want to see. No I tweeted, question. I tweeted it last night. I want to see. Kawhi and James Harden playing cornhole like at their hotel just waiting for their next game they said that the players can be fans at other games I want to see like LeBron out there heckling the Clippers against the Rockets in a playoff series right like, I want to see all that that's going to be I mean it's not going to probably reach the last dance but it's going to be a really fun watch like think of all the players that got beef like what if a camera crew is out there and it's late at night and Joel Embiid comes across Russell Westbrook going to the dining hall or whatever. Like, what are they going to say to each other? Yeah. You know, there's so many. There's It'll so almost be like that little drama. league. It'll be like that little league world series yeah. vibe where guys are watching each other play. They're bunking with each other. They're playing ping pong with each yeah. other. It's kind of going back to those old school days where they're all in the same room, the same vicinity, hanging out with each other. I agree. If they get some great footage out of that and can turn it into something, 
I mean, that'd be, that'd be awesome. That'd be incredible. That's, that'd be a lot of fun to watch. Opposite of The Last Dance. The Last Dance was something serious and enjoyable to watch. Yep. But this would be uh, a really – Reality really show. Like, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a cross between, like you said, like the Little League World Series aspect mixed with like Big Brother, mixed with like the Real Housewives because of the players that have drama. Yeah. And it'd be a fun watch. I definitely would be, would be tuned into that as well. No question. And as we end all of our shows, we will do so with Where Would You Go, Dro, and then a trivia Dero. question. Jerome, yes. I'm you had, you had the name. issue with your name a couple episodes ago. Now we got the issues with my name. Here's the thing. Between both of our names, a grand total of five letters. What are you I doing, know. man? Q-J and J-O-E. What are you doing? Those go, go and Joe are too big of words <laughs> for my vocabulary. So where would you go, Joe, and trivia? Um, June 18th is the date we're playing with, and – you know, I mean, there's really not much to work with. Yeah, we're getting, got, after, after being in a period with, like, the championships and stuff, we're kind of getting into, like, a dead period now where you had to hope that there was, like, a late exactly. golf tournament or a tennis. Like, the, there's going to be a little bit of a dead period now until we get to, like, July and we could probably have, like, World Cup. It's Cups too early for everything. Wimbledon. It's too yeah. – it's not late enough for big-time World Cup matches. You got, yeah. like, cricket and rugby. So we did the best we could. Um, so answer choice A I got for you. 94 U.S. Open at Wingfoot. Fuzzy right. Zoller beats Greg Norman on a Monday in an 18-hole playoff. So this one was just more you get to attend Almost a Monday play. at the U.S. Open. Two guys playing 18 right. holes. Answer choice B is the 95 Women's World Cup between Norway and Germany. and Stockholm. The first one, I believe, right? The first the one, first, the final. The, the final game, mm-hmm. yep. Germany C, 2000 U.S. Open, arguably the greatest performance we've ever seen of a golfer. Tiger at Pebble Beach, won by 15 strokes, so you get to attend that. Or answer choice D, threw in some Rugby World Cup for you. 1995, you get to see the All Blacks, New Zealand, oh. and England. Okay. That's so those Good outside-of-the-box options here. Um, yes. Let's see. Let's try to narrow this down. The two golf options – um, I probably go with Tigers over the playoff just yes. because it's Tiger and it was one of the most historic performances of all time. And so, it's a pebble. Exactly. So that, that's, that's one out of the way. So we still have Tiger in contention. The World Cup first one, and it was a final. Yeah. Um, that, that's a tough one to say no to. So then we've got the rugby. So I love me a good haka. I always love seeing a haka. <laughs> Last year I got to cover Jets training camp and there was a player who led the team in, in one before practice started. It's incredible to see in person. Um, but just because the other two historic things, I'm going to, I'm going to put that one to the side. Ah, it's tough. World cup final or Tigers historic performance. I'm going to go with the world cup final. Actually as historic as that tiger performance was, I'm a big soccer fan. Yeah. Um, Anytime you have a chance to, to lift a trophy in a World Cup final, that's incredible. And you get to see the first one. Exactly. I mean, and look, no, look, no offense to Tiger, a historic performance, but it wasn't very entertaining. He ran away from the field, so there was no drama. It that's was just true, you, you were waiting for him to get to 18 to solidify what we already knew, probably, you know, how, how on, Friday. Well, yeah. on Friday <laughs> that he was going to run away with it. So yeah. uh, I'll go with the World Cup final. I like that. I got no problem with that. I think all your reasoning is great for it. I think because it's the first one, because it's a final, and, you know, Tigers won 15 majors. So there's probably a chance if you're an avid golf fan, you bring to one of the other 14. And and, and it's one of the historic ones because of how much he won by, but it's also probably one of the least entertaining because of how much he won by. So I go with the World Cup for sure. Correct. All right, on to trivia now. So I tied up at one-to-one with Lundquist and uh, Crosby last week. there you go somehow managed to get one quiz. Mm-hmm. Boy, that would have been a disaster if I would have had it and not said anything. Yeah, I've had the um, choice the last couple of weeks of who goes first because I was in the lead. But now that we're tied, I'll give you the choice. Um, I can go first if you want. Go first, Since meaning I, you'll give the question first or you'll answer first? I'll, I'll answer first. Okay, all right. Since you answered you. first last week. Yep. All right. This one ties into our interview in some aspect, mostly okay. just because of the year. So uh, when Coach Jones, all that we were talking about, that NCAA tournament run, it was the 94-95 season. The 94-95 season also happened to be one of the ones Michael Jordan missed when he went away from the game of basketball. So I want you to give me three things. Well, I guess technically four, but anyway. Um, who were the two teams in the finals that year? Who won it? And who was the league MVP? Those four components. Because 
obviously in a given year, you know, the Bulls are probably there in the East during the 90s. Uh, you know that it was probably a couple of teams in the West that were there. Uh, so, so I want you to give me the teams that were in the finals, the winner, and also who won the league MVP. Let me guess your 90 seconds started. Oh, that's my calculator app. Don't want that. <laughs> I do uh, that too. <laughs> all right. 90 seconds starts now. All right. So 94. I want to say it was the 95. Rockets. Sorry. The, the 94, 95 season. So right. Right. The spring of 95. Yeah. I want to say it was Rockets magic. There you go. And um, finals MVP or league MVP? League MVP. League MVP. 94, 95. Yeah, the title was the easy part. I just want right, to right, right, right. No, sure yeah, it's, <laughs> it's good. It's good. Um, all right, well, I mean, maybe Olajuwon, maybe Drexler. Um, I don't think it was a lot. Was it Drexler? It was not Drexler. Strike one. Okay. We are 40 seconds into it already. So Charles Barkley? Go. Not Barclay? Charles Barkley. It's two strikes. Hmm. <sighs> Um, let's see. You got 40 seconds. So kind of like Joe Bananati a couple weeks ago, before you just say something, consider right, a couple guys Right, right, right. Let's see. I mean, who was good in the East that year? It was Indiana was good. And Orlando was good. Detroit kind of fell off. Pippen was there for Chicago, but he didn't win it. Um, maybe it was a lot. You've got 15 seconds to go. Yeah, I might just panic here. Uh, I'll go Carl Malone. Incorrect. Was it Olajuwon? No. Okay, good. It was David Robinson. The Admiral got it that year. Would not have gotten that. That was good. When I looked this up, I was curious. After we talked about the 94-95 college year with Coach Jones, I wanted to see the NBA year because I knew, again, obviously it was a non-Jordan year. Um, And I was very surprised to see that it was him just because of all the other names. Uh, just kind of quietly crept up and won it. Uh, that year, he averaged 27.6 points per game. He had 10.8 rebounds per game and uh, on a team that, that had some success and uh, all-star team. And the Admiral broke through and won his – I like that game. a lot. Yeah, I was not thinking Robinson. That was very good. Um, all right, the question I got for you I like a lot. I think right. it's a really good one. So, from 2000 to 2005, there were 29 high school players who were drafted into the NBA. Name all 29. I'm kidding. <laughs> 2000 to 2005. 2000 to 2005, you had 29 high school players who were drafted into the NBA. Only five of those players made at least one all-star game. But I'm okay. only going to need three from you. All right? Okay. 2000 to 2005, five high school players that made the all-star game. Um, you only need to give me three. All okay. right? So your 90 seconds starts now. Go ahead. All right. The easy one is LeBron. Correct. Um, out of that draft also, the, the big names are, are Wade and Mello, but they went to college. There's also Darko Milicic. There is. Not out of high school. He, he, he went to, from Europe. Um, 2000 to 2005. Dwight Howard. Yes, Dwight okay. is number two. So those were the two easy ones. All right. So now you've obviously heard of these guys, but yeah, it's just a matter of which just... one broke through at some point. Correct. Uh, let's see. Did you ask me this question just because of the high school ties, or is there a PG County tie, which is what I'm thinking of now? Um, Here, let me tell you how much time you're at. You are at uh, 45 seconds. You got 45 left. All right, halfway through. Okay. Um, now remember. Yeah. 2000 to 2005 was the year they were drafted in yes, that time. Yeah, yeah, they could course, have made an all-star game later Late, on. Yeah, right. yeah. Oh, this is tough. Um, I don't – I don't – I know Kwame Brown has joked about a ton. Did he go to college? No. He didn't make an all-star game, did he? Is that an Kwame answer? Brown. No, not Kwame. Okay. You got uh, 15 seconds left. Ah, I'm not going to get this. Um, it's 2000 to 2005. 10 seconds. Gilbert Arenas? No, five uh, seconds. He went to college. What am I saying? I'm, I'm done. You're done. All right, so you got LeBron and Dwight, which was good. The other three were Amari Stoudemire, oh. Tyson Chandler, and Andrew Bynum. Oh, my God. I'm thinking wrong Lakers. <laughs> 
bust big. Oh. We're the other oh. three. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I, my mind was going there and I thought of the wrong Lakers big bust. Andrew Bynum. Oh man. That was, right that was of those guys. That was the one I would have gotten because I, Amari has not been on my radar. Yeah. And Tyson Chandler, I just wouldn't have gotten. So of those guys, I would have, if I was going to get any of them, it would have been Bynum. And I, I was barking up the right tree with, you, yeah, you were. Like, you absolutely but, were. Ah, all right. That was good. This is good. This is good. So we're still tied at one uh, after four weeks. So we'll see if any one of us can take the lead heading yeah. in episode five. A month into it, we hope you all yeah. enjoyed it so far. Tim Kirch and Minka Fitzpatrick, Joe Bedinati, Mike Jones. Make sure if you missed any of the three previous episodes, you go back and check it out. And we're looking forward to some upcoming guests we have coming up. Should be a lot of fun. Yep. I hope everybody – Hope everybody's enjoying these and you're all still staying healthy and uh, we're going to keep doing them as, as long as, I mean, forever, hopefully, but yeah, you know, <laughs> hopefully this is not just a quarantine thing. We'll, we'll keep it going. And uh, again, we've, en- we've enjoyed doing this a ton and we just have to start getting better at trivia because four episodes in, we both only have one. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's not, not good. That's 20, right now, that's 25% each, but Hey, so far we've got uh, the media people, uh, I know. Two for two and the former players slash coaches two for two. So killing so it. We got to keep it going with that and see, Absolutely. we got to start thinking of harder stuff for former players. And, and we whatnot. do, but well, I hope that, everybody yeah, has a good father's day and uh, we'll good birthday. Have a good birthday to you. Appreciate and, that. And Matt Kuchar, Matt Kuchar John well. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> Win some of that uh, birthday money. There you go. And that'll do it for episode four of the glass and Joe podcast. Hope to see you next week on episode five.